The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. PFF Podcast is brought to you by True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a True Cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True Cash offer not available in all areas. The PFF NFL podcast is also brought to you by Pluto TV, the leading free streaming television service. Watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand all for free. No credit card needed. No sign up. Pluto TV is easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson. Week 13 is in the book, Sam. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yes. Let's, Steve. Let's. let's. You okay. hate every one of my intros. They're, well, I, they're all bad and they're all different. <laughs> it's, I, I try it's to impressive. mix it up. I try to mix it up. We're live here on YouTube. We've made it a Monday tradition. Appreciate the millions and millions. Oh, wait. I can't lie about that on YouTube. People can actually see how many people are viewing. No. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate all of the viewers on YouTube and the millions and millions listening in the podcast world. <laughs> well, you can't check. You can't check. You guys can't confirm our numbers. Mm-hmm. It's it's truly millions. Uh, do we have more work to do now that there's no buys? We have more stuff to talk about, unfortunately. Yeah. It's harder work. Right. We got to do more. Uh, let's get into the week's action. Uh, starting with Thursday, we had to do, we went back to the Thursday night prediction. I'm calling this a win. Yeah. Sam. I, this feels like a stretch. My prediction was that Drew Brees would double his interception total from two to four, at least double yes. it. And that didn't happen. He had multiple turnover-worthy plays. Yes. Even, his, even his touchdown should have been picked. I mean, he was trying to make my prediction true. He did throw one actual interception. Yeah. I feel like, I, I feel like a, that's a win. I, I, I essentially called that Drew Brees would, uh, would struggle for the first time all season, second so, time all well, season, really. Sort of, although you did say at the time, I believe, that 
they weren't. They wouldn't all be his fault. Oh, that was my cop out. They yeah. weren't necessarily. Not so necessarily actually, you were trying to fault. hedge in the other direction, and what happened is, arguably, he threw. <laughs> arguably, he played well badly enough to justify it, but the actual number didn't happen. So, I don't think yeah. you can claim that as a win. That's pretty good, though. That's pretty good. I did pick the Saints to win, and they did not win. They win thirteen to ten. One of the big debates here at PFF, I had to fight Eric and George over Skype the other day. We were battling. And, you know, all of their numbers point to, look, the offense kind of dictates the action. If the offense plays poorly, that's actually more of a catalyst for, you know, a a good defensive effort, right? And I do believe in that over time. I do believe, like, if you have a quarterback that just misses throws or whatever it is, I feel like the offense does kind of dictate the action a little bit. This felt like the opposite to me, though. This felt like Dallas's defense made life really difficult for the Saints offense. Tight window throws. You've got open throws to Kamara in the flat where you have Jalen uh, Smith just tracking him down. Like the things that the Saints usually do well, the Cowboys made it very difficult for them. They did. I mean, the Cowboys' defense played very well almost across the board. Basically, everybody was good except Randy Gregory, who kept ch- chipping in every now and again with a mind numbing that was stupid penalty. That was, that was impressively bad. Um, I, I'd forgotten. The, the special teams won as well. Like he had, oh, yeah. His entire contribution to this game was three idiot penalties. That's, what, and that's the other impressive. thing, too. There was so much pressure on the Dallas defense to kind of overcome those stupid penalties, including the special teams won. And the fact that they held the Saints to 10. Now, I look at that both ways. They held them to 10. I thought that the Breeze touchdown was offensive pass interference. He just kind of chucked it up into tight coverage. Offensive pass interference. On the other hand, Breeze threw a pass that was dropped at about the two-yard line, that probably would have been a touchdown. So I think the 10 is probably... A, and they had a, a goal line stand, Dallas yeah. had. But the 10's probably a leg- legitimate number. And that's... Man, that is one of the best offenses of all time in a dome that they shut down and held to 10. It did. And that, that... We've said for a while now, this Dallas defense looks extremely formidable. It's the thing that's propelling this team to the first place in that division. I'm probably going to take the division. Um, Demarcus Lawrence, obviously a career year last season... Um, he's playing on the franchise tag this year and hasn't really slowed down. I mean, this year is basically as good as last year, not quite at that level, but really hasn't been much of a drop-off. He's still playing absolutely fantastically. That linebacker group is pretty impressive. We've reached this point now where, you know, linebackers are definitely the least important part of a defense. The front seven, the guys generating the pass rush are obviously hugely important the coverage on the back end particularly in uh, in terms of cornerbacks is really important and the linebackers have kind of become this group that you know you can get by with less talented players there but like with all these things once you reach the outliers at either end of the spectrum it starts to make a difference again and they have this group now with jalen smith with leighton vanderesh and assuming sean lee ever comes back healthy that is a trio who can all make major impacts on a game, and they can potentially all be there on this at the same time. Those guys are playing ridiculously well, and Leighton Vander Esch is this really is a fan, fascinating prospect to me because, again, I was talking to to Eric about this as well. This idea of he was seen as a lesser pro- prospect than Tremaine Edmonds right. because Edmonds was nineteen years old. And he was an athletic freak. And because he's 19, think how much better he will be just by getting older, right? right. But Leighton Vander Esch, A, is basically as freaky athletically. When you put the two of them together, 
they they match up really closely in terms of athletics uh, athletic profile. Um, so as freaky as Edmonds is, Van Der Esch is pretty much there as well. And though he's significantly older, he actually has less playing time experience. Right. So if you work, which is more important, the fact that a guy is young or the fact that a guy hasn't actually played that much is inexperienced. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think anybody does. We need yet. to work on it over right. here. We can study it. But this is the case study, right? Edmonds has struggled as a rookie. He's shown flashes. He can get better. He's still young, et cetera, et cetera. But Leighton Van Der Esch was a significantly less experienced player coming out of college. And I think we're kind of seeing that now. This is, you know, year two for him of, of real playing time. And the development has been stark just from that. So I. Let me get back to your first point about the outliers at linebacker. I think they're certainly at that outlier point where they're extremely valuable. In the other the other night, they allowed nine receptions into their coverage. And when you look at linebacker coverage stats, you're always going to give up receptions because screens essentially get assigned to them, passes in the flat that they're not going to break up. But when you look at the yards, nine receptions between Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith for only 43 yards. And they combined for 11 stops. And again, we define a stop as essentially a, you know, 4 yard or less gain on first and 10, essentially just a, you know, keeping the offense off schedule or a tackle short of the sticks on third down. They're just flying to the ball. And this is why I think it was good defense. You're seeing plays, you know, Kamara in the flat where he usually jukes a guy turns it into a touchdown, Van Der Esch is closing on it, Smith is closing on it. They are impactful linebackers. Um, I also love this back seven, this homespun back seven. Byron Jones, Xavier Woods, Cheetah Bay Woozy. I know the grades haven't been great all the way through the year, but going back to our college evaluations, we, we like all of these players. And I think in one-game settings, they're very capable. Like Woozy made some great plays. Yeah, Byron night. Jones did as well. He, uh, he gave up a couple of penalties against Michael Thomas, but this was Michael Thomas. Right, right. and he was that's expected. Up, yeah, going up against Byron Jones, who had a lot of plays where he really shut him down. Um, and even if you just look at targets... It was two targets to Thomas um, and no catches with a pass breakup in there. Now, okay, there's also the penalties as well, so it's not like it was a completely clean day of coverage. Right. But in terms of a one-on-one back-and-forth battle between those two, Byron Jones did as well against Michael Thomas as anybody has. Yeah, so this was um, an impress- impressive effort by the Dallas Cowboys. Now, again, going back to our analysis, how much can you trust defense going forward? It's still an offensive-driven game. How much can you – I still think you just, you just throw the Cowboys in this lump of defenses that are like the 15th best defense in the NFL. Do you, you guys understand our analogy? There's no elite top defense that you can trust week in, week out. They're a few weeks removed from giving up a ton of points against the Titans, right? But again, in a one-game setting, Dallas is as tough as anybody right now. Yeah. I mean, that's what this is all about, Essentially. right? Defense, defense in 2018 is about can you get it done in one game, right? Because yeah. it's, it's – it's all going to come down to these postseason games, which is a, a sequence of one-off performances you need from whichever side of the ball. And Dallas has a defense that's capable of those one-off performances that will that can stifle the very best offenses in the league, like the Saints. Now, the Saints' defense still hold, held, holds Dallas to 13. Yeah. They just have uh, such an anomaly on the offensive side of the ball. Um, still not worried about the Saints, but yeah, I think it's impressive with what Dallas did there. The Saints defense has got some talent. They also have holes, though, in a way. Right. Dallas doesn't really have at the moment. Like, Eli Apple was victimized, looked horrendous. I mean, it, it, he's the same guy as he was in New York. It's not like this change of setting has transformed him into a different player. 
he is the guy that you go after if you want to exploit their coverage. And until they figure out a way of patching that up, that's going to be a vulnerable point to exploit for teams later on down the line. All right, let's talk about some of the big news around the NFL now. Mike McCarthy fired yeah. from the Green Bay Packers. Uh, they lose 20-17 to 17 to the Arizona Cardinals. Right, a gimme win, and they lost. Right. Um, there have been people... I, I know Twitter is not real life. Right? Really? It's you not real life. Okay. But I know the Twitter sphere has been calling for Mike McCarthy's head for a while. Years. Um, essentially, any time... Now, Aaron Rodgers, I, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, he's the most talented quarterback probably since John Elway, right? Maybe of all time. When you just talk about arm strength, he's more, way more accurate than Elway was, even beyond completion percentages. Arm strength, accuracy, athleticism, what he can do before the snap, all that. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is as talented as it gets. So are people defaulting too much to, well, you have Aaron Rodgers, so any failure can't be on him. And his stats are always good. Yeah. It can't be on him. It must be on the head coach, Mike McCarthy. It must be the scheme. It must be something. I mean, we're going to learn about this now that right. I mean, once they get somebody else in there. But I'm kind of of the mind that Aaron Rodgers is more at fault than people think. Well, I tweeted this morning, what if Aaron Rodgers is actually the problem? Oh, you, okay. So we're of the same mind here. Right. I didn't know that you tweeted that. Yeah. Um, I, so I think the Mike McCarthy criticism definitely had roots in something of substance, right? There was a period of time where that offense was an extremely vanilla-looking thing that had not progressed along with everybody else in the league. Because you know anybody that's been watching this game for long enough for the past few years can see a progression and a development in NFL offenses. They haven't stayed the same. What you're watching in 2018 is not the same schematically as you were watching in 2012, in 2008, in whatever. Right. It moves forward. We've seen these developments, whether it's read option looks, whether it's RPOs, whether it's um, you know route concepts. All this stuff has moved on, right? And I think there was a period of time where Mike McCarthy's hadn't yet. And it was running the same stuff that he'd run before, and it was being exposed as being something defenses had figured out a way to deal with. Even if you have a quarterback as good as Aaron Rodgers, at some point if defenses know how to prevent, uh, how to combat your thing on the back end, it doesn't really matter how good the front end is. So they were able to cover up these wide receivers and limit them, and basically everything was on Aaron Rodgers' shoulders to get done, and he couldn't quite get it all done by himself. But it has moved on, right? They are running these... Um, they are running these more developed route concepts that spring people open that win against man coverage. They're running some of this RPO stuff. They are running things that they didn't in the past that gets receivers open rather than just relying on them getting open by beating their man. Right. right? And yet they're still the problem, right? It's not what we expect to see from this green Bay offense, which is unstoppable because they have Aaron Rodgers. So at that point, what is the issue? Now, Rodgers is this fascinating quarterback because everybody knows he is supremely talented. We can see what he's able to do week in, week out. He grades spectacularly well, but he is a very enigmatic quarterback um, and a very unique one in terms of the makeup of all of this stuff. So he does not turn the ball over almost at all. His turnover uh, rate is absurdly low. His turnover-worthy throw rate is absurdly low. But it isn't without 
downside because he takes a ton of sacks that other quarterbacks don't because they get rid of the ball. They put the ball in the air and take a chance rather than take the sack. And a sack is a pretty devastatingly negative play. Right. It's not like that's a necessarily a good thing. Yes, you didn't turn it over, but it's not all good. A sack is still a pretty bad play, and if you can avoid it, you should. There, there are other metrics that – so like, I, I don't love the way QBR does a lot of things. QBR does downgrade quarterbacks for sack, sacks pretty heavily, and that's why Rodgers, from a QBR standpoint, is mid-tier all this, this right. season. And it's a difficult thing to – obviously it gets messy when you start doing that, right? Because some sacks are not on the quarterbacks. Right. But, right. but Rodgers takes way more sacks than most quarterbacks. Right. It is part of his makeup that he doesn't put the ball in harm's way and will take sacks because of that. Um, so you have this weird dynamic where – Rodgers is extremely good at, at what he does, but the question is, what is he leaving on the table um, to do this? And another area kind of manifests itself in is his average time to throw, right? He's always among the slowest quarterbacks in terms of getting rid of the ball from his hands. He extends the play more than pretty much anybody, and a lot of times that works out with these incredible throws or incredible plays where he's dancing around the pocket, five seconds go by, he finds a guy that uncovers and delivers the pass, and it looks spectacular. But again, in order to do that, how many simple 10-yard slants has he passed up, right? Open guys within structure in that first read, instant open. And this was a couple of years ago we were saying that he was leaving a lot of these things open, not just right. um, wasn't passing them up it was just didn't didn't take them at all there's a wide open guy immediately because of the combination at the line of scrimmage and Rodgers just didn't put the ball in the air before just so 2015 he had about a 79 grade 2015 is where some of this stuff started uh early 2016 before they went on that relax win out run where he was incredible finished the season at 91.4 he had multiple games where he graded in the 40s one against Minnesota one against Dallas early in the season that was the epitome 2015 and 16 there were points where like there's there were throws there and he was way more comfortable playing outside of structure 2015 i think there was a game against carolina as well two-point conversion he had the game-winning throw there and he passed it up right so there are it's really tough because even this year throw for throw he's incredible but then you could point to the seattle game crunch time missed throw yesterday i know he got him into field goal range but there were also there were two missed throws on these on the final drive. So it's kind of like he's not missing a ton of throws. It's when he's missing them that's been bad. It's a really nuanced conversation, right? Because we're not you can't say by any measure that Aaron Rodgers is bad or is anything other than excellent. Right. The thing is, how hard is he making the job on himself by the way he goes about doing this? Right. And how much could things be better if he just embraced some of this other stuff? So you think of Andrew Luck, right? For years, that offense was essentially seven-step drop. It's all on Andrew Luck, and if he can't get it done, we're screwed, right? Then, they, so they, they had to, in the past, for a couple of games, run this short-game stuff, and it worked fantastically. This season, it's almost all been this short-game stuff, and it's arguably made Luck better because it makes his job easier. So you have a guy that you know is a supremely talented quarterback. If we make his job easier, I mean, it's only good, right? But if Rodgers is going to be... So in, it, for years, we've worked on the basis that, well, Mike McCarthy isn't doing what he could do in order to schematically make Aaron Rodgers' life easier. Therefore, Aaron Rodgers isn't allowed to show all of his capabilities. But I wonder, and you're wondering the same thing, mm-hmm. what if Aaron Rodgers is a far bigger part of that 
issue than right. we've always assumed he was. Right. What if it's actually Aaron Rodgers, by his own style, is not making Aaron Rodgers' job as easy as it could be? And therefore, Aaron Rodgers is the thing preventing Aaron Rodgers from showing how great he can be. And it's not a crazy thought because, again, we're pointing to these specific times in his career where he very clearly wasn't taking a lot of the reads that were right, right. there in front of him. So maybe there's more of that. Maybe it's not as pronounced as it was at one point, but maybe there's more of that. And the issue that that kind of creates is when you have this system, which for whatever reason is putting everything on Aaron Rodgers, it means that your margin for error is minimal, right? right. And you roll into these games and suddenly everything isn't going perfect and you find yourself down in the fourth quarter and you, there's no wiggle room. It's you, you have to get this done, otherwise you lose the game. And that's when, too often, he doesn't, you know, there's one play where he can't get it done, and it's, well, what the hell happened there? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers can't get it done in crunch time. It's because he's just made the situation too hard for yourself. I saw, I mean, we have the numbers, but I, the numbers were pointed out to me um, through social media or whatever that Green Bay hasn't attempted, one of the, they've attempted one of the lowest percentages of passes in the middle of the field. And again, the immediate response is, well, Mike McCarthy. Right. You know, it must, must be Mike McCarthy. But again, going to Aaron Rodgers, and you know he is so reliant on those outside the numbers, you know, just ISO routes. Is that the scheme or is that Aaron Rodgers? And I always defer to to Zach Robinson when I talk about quarterbacks. When we talked about Deshaun Watson at Clemson, I said, "Hey, is that Clemson offense just too? Are they keeping it just so simple so we don't know what Watson can do?" And his response is, "I think they keep it simple because of his strengths and weaknesses. He's not great at going through progressions. Same thing with Drew Locke at Missouri this year." I wish they'd open it up and let him go through progressions. And Zach always comes back with, I think they're limiting it because of what they think Locke is capable of. So is Mike McCarthy in Green Bay, are they limiting what they can do because they're worried about what Aaron Rodgers can do? Now, again, I don't want to take away from Aaron Rodgers because we've seen him do this. When it, I think in 2011 and 2014, he had stretches of play that are like top five in NFL history. Yeah. Because of the combination of everything. It was special throws, avoiding turnover-worthy throws, pre-snap ability, taking the easy stuff when it was there. It was, it was just an all-encompassing, outstanding quarterback play. He's capable of it. Yeah. And the difference, but he hasn't been nearly as much in recent years. And the difference between him and other quarterbacks when you start talking about this stuff, like if you, so a, a comparison you could make, right, without saying these two things are the same, this is how comparisons work, Steve. Okay, Reclaim thank you the for comparison. reclaiming it. So a comparison you could make, which is kind of ironic, actually, since we're in the same draft class, is Alex Smith. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and the reason that's interesting is because when you start talking about Alex Smith and the plays he leaves on the table and the things that he doesn't do, with him it's very much because he can't, right? Alex Smith simply cannot execute that kind of high-risk offense with any kind of reliability. We saw it for one year in Kansas City, and it was basically a complete outlier. Right. And he has been more aggressive this season, and it's come back down to earth with a vengeance because he doesn't have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and these guys that get wide. Doesn't have the open, open deep right. throws, yeah. So you can't when he is aggressive deep down the field, it doesn't go well. And that's what we've seen throughout his career. With Rodgers, I don't think you're limited by what he can do. I think he can do any of this stuff. Right. You just you, you have this stylistic tendency that he has, in theory that is holding him back from this other stuff. So when you start talking about he, he will definitely put the ball in the air when guys are blanket covered, covered, but only with these kind of back shoulder throws, right? right? So you see a guy on the sideline, 
the, the cornerback is all over him. Rodgers will put the ball in the air, but only knowing that he's not looking and it's a back shoulder throw and the chance of that ever getting picked off are minimal. What he doesn't do is put the ball in the air in the middle of the field into these tight windows, the kind of throws that you see Baker Mayfield throwing all the time. Now, it doesn't always work out well in Mayfield's case yet. We saw him throw the ball at linebackers a couple of times yesterday. Um, but those are the throws that Rodgers doesn't really attack. Now, it's not because he can't, because Rodgers can make any throw out there. He just stylistically doesn't do that. He would much rather play it safe, take the guy on the sideline who you know is not going to get intercepted rather right. than force it into a window, which, and who knows what will happen there. And, and look, this is why, historically, he's not great at making those fourth-quarter comebacks. He's not, even though he, he went through this stretch where he was incredible and some of them were Hail Mary-driven, which, again, is luck, he went through the stretch where he was making incredible fourth quarter comebacks. He did it against Dallas in the playoffs in 2016 and all that stuff. But the guys who have generally been good at bringing their team back are more gunslinger types. It's the Eli Mannings. It's Matthew Stafford's. Uh, Matt Ryan's been good at it. Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck, perfect gunslinger type of guy who's willing to take those chances. So is that coming back to bite him as well? Right? Just that, in, like at some point, forget about your interception rate. You got to go win the game. I mean, I think this next hire is going to be fascinating and really important for Aaron Rodgers' legacy because forget the idea of chasing a second Super Bowl ring. Just what Aaron Rodgers looks like in the next couple of years within what will presumably be a completely different offense from right. a stylistic point of view, right? They are going, whoever they bring in is going to have an offense that bears much more, that is objectively more modern than Mike McCarthy's. At least, or at least a perception of what Mike McCarthy's offense has been. Right. So if Rodgers doesn't improve these um, tendencies in his game or, or change these tendencies in his game, then you're going to have to start asking this question of how much is Aaron Rodgers the cap on his own legacy? I think, I think it's going to be fascinating to see. Um, granted, he's getting old, but not really old by NFL standards. Right. My thing is, though, maybe he's – like when Breeze, Breeze and Brady can age a little bit better because they're winning – in the pocket a little bit more at some point you know Aaron Rodgers relies on his athleticism x amount right so at what point is he going to have uh, more trouble aging than say a pocket passer yeah he's also That's got what we that have to say. freaky ability to maneuver the pocket like if he can restrict himself to just doing that within the pocket it should still be pretty right you know ridiculously effective it's going to be fascinating uh to see here because um, you talk about Rodgers' legacy, he's got the highest passer rating of all time, and uh, Grant, all the stat Russell Wilson's up there. All the stats are so inflated, and and Mahomes will probably be up there, at, you know, in a couple of years, and Goff could be up there in a couple of years. But as of right now, statistically, Rodgers is the guy. He has a Super Bowl, you know, win to his name. So legacy wise, I think it's it's a fair question. All right, let's let's go through some of this other stuff. Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, three and zero now. They beat Atlanta. Most of us picked Atlanta yeah. to win. And there were some good questions. There was a question in the, in the YouTube chat here about his grades aren't great, but how valuable is he? And I, I think this is – I think if you guys go back to my write-up on profootballfocus.com before the draft, and I said there's an offense to be built around Lamar Jackson. And despite like all of the studies that we've had that, like, look, you don't need the run game to set up the pass or anything like that, I'm not saying they go out the window, but I think a running quarterback changes things a little bit, right? Yeah. When you have to account for both guys in the backfield as potential runners, you have more open throws. And this has been my point this entire time. Lamar Jackson runs the ball X amount of times to just keep the offense on schedule. Yesterday, 17 carries for 75 yards. Uh, 
only one of which was a scramble, right? A couple kneels in there and a sneak and whatever. But a lot of designed runs. It opens up running lanes for the, for the running back, and it opens up more passes for a guy that's going to miss a lot of passes like Lamar Jackson. That's where we are right now. Some bad decision-making, some missed passes, but just easier passes because of his run threat. So that's why he can grade a little bit lower, and I think there's some level of efficiency there from, for Lamar. Yeah, there is. Only four running backs have carried the ball more than Lamar Jackson since he started the last three weeks. He has 55 carries and only four running backs, one of whom is Gus Edwards on his own team. There you go. Have more carries than that. David Johnson, Saquon Barkley, and Zeke Elliott. So essentially the three most workhorse backs maybe in the NFL. And then Lamar Jackson. Like that's how much he's carrying the ball. What's, I agree. I think his grades are not great. Um if you were looking just at grading terms, you would say as soon as Joe Flacco gets back, you put Joe Flacco back in and you go back to the Lamar Jackson gimmick thing, right? But the, what makes it interesting is that he is way more dangerous to a defense yes. than Joe Flacco is. So even if he's not better right now, he's proven at the very least that he's viable. Like right. He is not going to be the reason they're losing games right now because um, he's not playing great and they're still winning. And those two things are connected. It's not that they're winning in spite of him. It's that they're winning partly because of him, even though he's not playing great. What he does is he brings something completely different that NFL defense are not used to dealing with. And that in and of itself has inherent value. Honestly, though, Josh Allen is doing something very similar with the Bills. I mean, an offense that was at just a special level of incompetence is now more viable because of Josh Allen. Now, they're not winning games you know, as efficiently as the Ravens, but Josh Allen's done something similar. Yeah, the bottom line is NFL defenses hate being presented with something they're not used to dealing with. Right. And it causes issues because the margin for error at this level is so small that if you're not inherently immediately sure what to do when you see something, that's the hesitation you need that's the difference between winning and losing stuff. So, you know, you think back to the Colin Kaepernick season where he was so great um, because it wasn't something defenses were used to dealing with. And then the longer that worked out, the more defenses got used to dealing with it, slowed it down, and eventually um, it wasn't an issue. But the Ravens are going to be chasing this playoff berth. Right. I think the, the length of time it'll take for teams to catch up to how to completely shut down Lamar Jackson is going to stretch into next year, at which point your best chance to win, despite the other quarterback being an objectively better passer right now, is Lamar Jackson because he's more dangerous to an NFL defense, and they're not going to catch up to that quickly enough to make it worth sitting him down. He has almost as many negatively graded throws as positives. Yeah. That's not usually something that's a one-to-one ratio. You're usually going to get far more positives than negatives, at least two-to-one. So I think that just sums up from a grading standpoint the same thing we said. He's going to miss a lot of throws. Four, he has four that we've con- uh, five turnover-worthy plays. In there, four of which are on the lower end of that turnover-worthy scale. So he's put the ball in harm's way a ton. Yeah, and he's but he still has the ability to make some of those special throws. He could do. He can do. I, I keep saying you could go and have somebody that's a huge Lamar Jackson fan and show his ten best plays, and just say, "Look at him maneuver the pocket like Tom Brady. Look at him do this. Look at him keep his eyes down the field. He does. He has all these great quarterback traits. He still just misses way more throws than the average quarterback. So you just have to deal with that, knowing that there is a high end as well. There's a good side to it as well. Right. He's another fascinating case because he's not like these quarterbacks that are running quarterbacks that are bad passers. 
You know, a lot of these guys are bad passers largely because they're running quarterbacks. Right. So what they right. do is they drop back, they take one read, and then they run. If that one read isn't open, they start taking off and they use their legs, and that's why they never develop into quality quarterbacks because they're not looking, they're not concentrating on the passing element of working through your reads, of understanding how to, to work within the pocket, maneuvering things around, and then delivering the pass. They're just focusing on, if I can pass, that's great. If I can't, I'm running because I'm a great athlete. Right. Lamar wants to pass. It's like he said, one of these uh, runs was a scramble. The rest, they're all designed runs. Yeah. He's actually staying in the pocket. He's a pass-first quarterback yes. in the pocket. He wants to pass, and he does all of the passing things that a, quarterback, that a passing pocket quarterback does. He works through reads. He's a lot of the times better when he does go through his reads and gets to that guy than if he does the first read. Um, he stays within the pocket. He maneuvers things around. He's He is a passing functional quarterback who just happens to be an absurd athlete. He also just happens to be really bad at the down-to-down accuracy part of being a passing quarterback. So he does the things right, like the kind of the theory, the mechanics are okay, and then he just misses the throw, which is obviously not good, but the fact that he's doing those things in the first place makes him a different type of player than the traditional one read and take off kind of running quarterback. Let me let me sum it up real quickly. If he didn't have that special level of athleticism that you could build a run game around, he's one of the worst passing quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. And you just you don't even give him a shot. But because he has that special running ability, not only can he pick up those yards on the ground, he will therefore he will also make his job easier with more open throws. And it's kind of like the Cam Newton thing. If you give yeah. an inaccurate quarterback more open throws, he'll complete more of them. Now, again, it might be a crosser where you put it on the back shoulder instead of front, and it might be a little limited, but it's still more valuable than a complete miss. Yeah, but I think that's what differentiates him from guys like Vince Young, who is you know who was a pretty special athlete himself, but didn't want to pass so much. You know, he right. would he was far more ready to take off and run and just rely on his athleticism, right. and never developed the passing part of his game. Lamar at least wants to do that and goes about doing it as if he will. Um, and that, I think, was what differentiates him from those Vince Young-style quarterbacks. But, again, you're right. You do have that, uh, the athleticism, the running skills to lean on while you develop that. Now, the question is, will his accuracy ever be good enough that it matters? So the running stuff is fantastic. But like I say, eventually NFL defenses will catch up to right. the, the, the things you don't do well and limit the things you do well. So he's going to need to get better as a passer. The question is, how, where is that ceiling, right? Because it's, it's accuracy is the issue. And you can't always fix that. And my comparison was, was Michael Vick for these very reasons, right? Yeah. Throw for throw, it's not going to look great. Special throws are in there. Special running is there. But Michael Vick had a lot of games where he carried the team with his legs, and we're seeing that a little bit with Lamar. He also had games where if teams did take that away and they did a really good job of containing him, they, they, were, they were done. I mean, they yeah. were shut out a few times. I mean, Vick had you know some really bad games in there and i could see that same thing happening with lamar your comparison was vic mine was actually kaepernick for these reasons right it's it's the same idea the kaepernick's athleticism was fantastic he could do certain things as a passer he never developed that enough to become a really good nfl quarterback now obviously you know his what's happened to him since doesn't have any real relevance to that um and we're not wading hip deep into that one but the point is in what are you trying to say? Nothing. Nothing at all. About Kaepernick. But in order for Lamar to become a legitimate, starting, long-term, viable quarterback, he's going to de- need to develop that part of his game. It's not 
the running thing is always going to be there. Um, it's how good can he make the passing part because he wants to do it. It's at least in his game. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, so the Ravens win, and they're still very much in the uh, wild card hunt there in the AFC, in the in in charge in the wild card hunt. Um, a lot of uh, Texans questions. Not just wild card hunt; they're back in the division race with Pittsburgh losing. Yeah, that's true. They technically are half game behind Pittsburgh. Yeah. Sorry, you guys are you guys are more than that, Baltimore Ravens fans. Uh, Houston Texans. A lot of people asking about them, Sam. Yeah, they win again. They do nine and three. Yeah, what the hell is with that? They went from zero and three to nine and three. Really impressive. Um, if you say, look, the defense, the defense has come around to the point where they're kind of like the, the, the 2016 version was really good. Their 2016 defense was really good. You have a guy like Zach Cunningham yesterday, fantastic game with a pick six, pass breakup, uh, pass breakup. J.J. Watt playing like the best edge in the league, even though it's a quiet year for J.J. Watt compared to some of the stuff we've seen. He's still the best edge defender in the NFL, unless that's changed. He's right up there, right? Top one or two. Uh, Getting some good play from Justin Reed at safety. I mean, they've just got this consistent, consistently strong grading defense across the board. Yeah. I mean, I I just, I still, I can't buy into the Houston Texans, right? They are... They're the classic example of being strong in the right areas, and it's the areas that aren't strong that concern me. So I think that I think that potentially can only take you so far. So at the moment, they are reliant on Deshaun Watson playing extremely well, way better than he did last year, despite the statistics not being quite as gaudy and absurd. Mm-hmm. So Deshaun Watson looks really good, and I, it's amazing actually how much he's developed since his Clemson tape, which did have all these kind of restrictions on it and what right. he was doing. Right now, he looks phenomenal. He's making some incredible throws. He's diagnosing coverage. He's putting the ball into tight windows, etc. He looks amazing. You've got New Hopkins, who is ridiculous. Like, he is just going up and mossing defensive backs left, right, and center. He's making one-handed catches. It doesn't matter if he's covered. Like, he's the, be- he's the closest thing to a contested catch guy who actually is – that's a plus, not a negative – Right, because well, he could separate too, right. and do other things. He's just killing people at the catch point, so he looks incredible. And then on defense, you've got J.J. Watt. You've got a stable of pass rushers. Clowney is good, not great, but there's a group of guys that can get pressure, and they've got guys on the back end with Matthew, Jonathan Joseph, somehow still playing well. Um, you know, Justin Reed was making plays. This the defense is good in coverage. It's good at rushing the passer, and the offense has the quarterback and the wide receiver which are basically the four most important components of an NFL team right now. But the offensive line is still horrendous. The re- like, it's, there's too much wrong with this team for me to embrace them as like Super Bowl contenders. But at this point, yeah. like, they've won too many of these games to be anything other than making the playoffs. And, you know. but, so I thought on paper, though, they were strong. They were weak in the wrong spots, one of which was, was corner and the secondary in general. That secondary has definitely overachieved. Yeah. Now, how much they're aided by Watt being back and his, you know, his emergence and, and the, the good job that they've done up front. Also, in our defensive, you know, we've been trying to really isolate coaches from the grading and try to say, okay, if this team is having more success on a play-by-play level and the actual player grades maybe don't pop as much, we try to connect the two with coaches. Romeo Cornell is one of our highest-graded defensive coaches. He was number one as of two weeks ago, last time we checked it. So there's all these little things, I think, adding up. Plus, their schedule hasn't been that great. Right. They have snuck through some games. Like, right, let, let, let's keep the week-to-week analysis here. There's a lot of games that's like a kick here and a kick there. It's not like 
you know, they almost lost to Buffalo and Washington and some of these. It's not like they've been dominant all the way through. So they're winning all these close games, which is really tough to sustain. I think a better way to sum this up, they're number 11 in just overall PFF grades, but they're 9-3 and three and actually competing for a first-round bye right. in the number one seed. They're one game out behind the Chiefs for the number one seed, and they're losing the tiebreaker to New England for the number one seed. They're not a 9-3 and three team, but they're better than we thought coming into the season for sure. Yeah. Much better than we thought coming into the year. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's just a question of how far that's going to take them. Just, just so you guys know from a, a, from a grading standpoint, Deshaun Watson's gone from a 68 to almost an 80, 79.8 so far this year, despite the stats looking similar. But again, relative to the rest of the league, his stats have taken a hit compared to last year because of all the uh, league averages essentially going down. Uh, passer rating of 101.1 this year for Watson with a, with a ton of fumbles too. Bad 29 fumble grade because he's put the ball in harm's way quite a bit. So the fact that he's uh, grading at 79.8 despite all those fumbles just show, I think, how much more efficient he is as a passer this year than he was last year. Yeah. When everybody was like, hey, he's going to break the league. Uh, so impressed by the Houston Texans. There you go, Texans fans. We talked about you guys. Now we fly through the rest of the league. And what right. happened yesterday? All right. Let's do it. Colts got shut out 6 nothing. Yes. Six Were we nothing. too quick to crown them? Offensive line, the offense, Luck was throwing three, pa- three touchdowns a game, and they get shut out 6 nothing. Cody Kessler's just unstoppable. Yeah. I mean, the offensive line did get its ass kicked. Uh, Costanzo, in particular, gave up like, two sacks, three hits, and three hurries. He was the worst culprit in terms of getting his ass kicked on that offensive line, him or Mark Lewinsky, and that always kind of felt like it was coming back around at some point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the Jags defense finally remembered it was the Jags defense, just too late for it to matter. I think it's just another example, though, like week to week. Who knows? This was the kind of perfect example, though, of, you know, Kessler being the best idiot for the idiot-proof offense. Oh, come on. He was so bad. He wasn't good. (laughs) That's the point, though. Like, he he attempted, like, three passes beyond 10 yards. Just steered the idiot ship right through the 6-0 win. The best idiot for the idiot-proof offense. That's why that model's not sustainable. I never said it was sustainable. I just said as long as that's your model... You might as well pick the right idiot for the job. Cody Kessler, the right idiot for the Jaguars QB job. My goodness. That should be on a business card somewhere. <sighs> Not when Dwayne Haskins is there next year. Uh, Denver beats our hometown Cincinnati Bengals and Jeff Driscoll 24-10. to 10. Do you Damn. believe in Denver yet, or they just they snuck one out against the Chargers and they're just playing some not-so-good teams? Right. They're, like, winning games. <laughs> They've got three in a row. Against uh, none of which they should have won. Was it like it's Pittsburgh, or Pittsburgh, the Chargers, and now okay, Cincinnati. But they've beaten some teams. Um, what was really interesting in this game is the Bengals. What was what it really assured me they were going to lose this game is so obviously AJ Green was back. Jeff Driscoll was starting. That in and of itself was you know Jeff Driscoll. It's probably not going to win. But they were going to move Clint Bowling to play left tackle. Yeah, such was the disaster in waiting that is Cedric Aboyhe, um, that they were like, no, we are better off putting our guard at left tackle, downgrading at two positions than we are expecting Aboyhe to go out there and man left tackle. That is how bad you are. If we didn't need the warm body on the sideline in case somebody gets hurt, you would not be playing in this game. That's- I think there's, a, there's probably eight to ten guards in the league that could probably play left tackle better than half the left tackle. So when I heard play. that, I was like, okay, that's, I mean... <laughs> left tackle Clint Bowling that's going to be a disaster going up against Denver and they're going to lose and it's going to be ugly etc cetera, etc cetera. 
But Bowling actually played pretty well. Like, okay, he gave up, I think, three total pressures in that game. But as a left guard, as a guard playing left tackle. Oh, that's pretty good, yeah. That's absurdly good. His overall grade, I think, or his pass blocking grade was 69, which is pretty good. Gave up, yeah, three total pressures, a sack, a hit, a hurry. But for a guard, moonlighting at left tackle, that's absurdly good. And an upgrade and was, over what Cincinnati's had the last two years. And it was dramatically better than Bobby Hart on the other side, who was an actual tackle playing tackle, getting yeah. his ass kicked. He got beaten uh, quite a bit. Uh, let me just take back what I said. Denver has beat, I mean, they beat Pittsburgh. They beat the Chargers. Yeah. They played the Texans a few weeks ago. They played Kansas City tough twice. I feel like Denver, you have the home field advantage in Denver, which I feel like automatically gets you four or five wins a year. <laughs> and then you just, but I don't see, I just don't see them as a dangerous team. Are they going to be the, what, what I said the Seahawks were going to be, which is like on the cusp of the playoffs and missing out because you had to play a really good team twice? Yeah, but I also think, you know, they're also held down by Case Keenum was playing better in re- recent weeks. Yeah. But I think when you have, Case Keenum's not one of the top 25 QBs in the NFL, right? When you're that low on the QB spectrum right now, it's very tough to win consistently. Yeah. But they're getting particularly hosed because they have to play four games against the Chiefs and Chargers this year. Oh, yeah. That's, they're definitely being hosed by the, uh, by the schedule. Like you're going to get a team like you know Baltimore or Miami or Indianapolis. Some, one of those teams is going like, to make the playoffs based on the fact that they didn't have to play four games against the Chargers and Chiefs the way Denver did. Right. That was too much time on those two teams. Okay. Rams-Lions. Uh, Jared Goff plays his worst game of the season. Uh-huh. Tried to throw pick sixes into the flat multiple times, and the Rams still score 30 and win. Yeah. How about that? And that's basically the Rams, right? Is that they are kind of unstoppable. Um, People are asking about the Lions. What's wrong with the Lions? I still revert back to this is what the Lions should have been the last few years. Maybe Jim Caldwell's better than we thought. Uh-huh. That must be really hard for Lions fans. Yeah. Jim Caldwell had them overachieving for a couple of years. So the big question, the Lions play extremely vanilla on either side of the ball. They do. And the big, the big question for them is going to be how much of this is this is year one of a project and how much of this is actually this is just what we do? No, I think there's something. We to, I, think there's, I think it's year one. Year one of the project. Okay. Well, that's going to be their question going forward, right? It's at the moment things are extremely basic and that's a problem. If that doesn't improve in year two, three – we have real problems because you can't run a system in today's NFL that's basically really simple because it gets figured out and exploited. You know what just came to me, though? No. This reminds me of when Dimitrov took over the Falcons and they were like, let's build, the ni- let's build this team like it's 1985. Yeah. They started get by getting big run-stopping nose tackles. That was their thing. They wanted to get tougher. Yeah. Well, it didn't work. By the way. For the Falcons. Hold on. Hold on. This is, but this is where the Lions need to just like stop and change the strategy immediately they spent the whole offseason worried about getting run stoppers and getting the run game and getting tougher and all that stuff yeah they need to stop and get guys that are going to affect the pass game well we already said that at the time Um, i know but this is like what the falcons did in 2012 and they got so much worse for doing it or whenever that those couple years were poor frank ragnow had to go up against aaron donald Oh, and kills everybody's grade. That had by far the worst grade of his season. Right, this was by far not only the worst grade of his season, but the worst grade since you know those weeks one and two, where for some reason he was just inexplicably awful. Um, Aaron Donald, speaking of unstoppable, was ridiculous again. Um, Donald right now already has more total pressures than anybody in 2017, not named Aaron Donald. Uh, the only player that had more That's pressure crazy. than he has right now last year was him. <laughs> And he didn't play two games last year. So we, he's 
insane. Did you? I show, showed you the picture. The, the Los Angeles Rams tweeted a picture of Aaron Donald, like Hulk posing in the locker room after the game. Kind of jacked. He's like jacked with a six-pack. He's a defensive tackle. Those guys are supposed to have like a big, giant, jiggly belly. Well, he's the best running back boobs. on the team, too. I mean, he's sitting there like shredded out of his gourd. Like, yeah. this, defensive tackles are not supposed to look like that. Just find yourself a defensive tackle that does, and you'll be fine. Every right. defensive tackle with a six-pack is unstoppable. Pretty much. Um, our guys, have they, so they still run the numbers on a play-by-play basis. Even this year, edge pressure is is more detrimental to the offense than interior pressure. Yeah. And cornerback value, when you make plays on the ball, far more valuable because it's just we know the play stops. Aaron Donald's still by far the most valuable non-quarterback, a defensive player in the league. He is the most valuable non-defensive quarterback or non-defense, non-quarterback player. player in the league. Defensive um, player. And yet has no business being in an MVP conversation because all the MVPs are quarterbacks. Yeah. This idea, like... I just now, want to isolate how value, like how good he is, the fact that an interior defensive lineman yeah. should not be in the conversation for most valuable defensive player unless they're at such a ridiculous level. And that's they also shouldn't is. be anywhere near the top of the league in total pressures. Like, that's insane in and no, of itself. And he's and he's done standard. it in two years. Um, he had a couple of sacks, and then one was a strip sack, and it was really important. So now Donald's an MVP candidate in the world of idiot media. Oh, are they saying that now? Oh, yeah, they're saying that. Well, this was like... It's not Gurley anymore, right? Well, this it's, is like it's Donald, because he had a strip sack. This is um, like when Watt had his right. third best season, but it all had, had a bunch of touchdowns in yeah. it. So he's up to 16 and a half sacks right now. So you can call him uh, an MVP candidate because before, when he didn't have all the sacks, he wasn't an MVP candidate, Steve. If, do I need to like, explain to you how all this works? That Donald is not an MVP any more than anybody other than a quarterback is an MVP. This is why the award is idiotic because it has to be a quarterback. It does. The end. Donald and it's Drew Brees or Patrick Mahomes. is the best player in the National Football League, and he will likely win PFF Stevenson Award, which is given to the best player in the, the NFL. Best player. But he is not the most valuable player. He is not the most valuable player on his own team because it's always the quarterback. Well, Goff might be down now after those. Well, he's down, but over the passes. season, he's still more valuable. Anyway, the end. Donald's incredible. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to some of the good games. Well, uh, you got through. called a hater. You, right. you got in, called a Vikings hater. Accurately predicting exactly what was going to happen. Vikings fans were so mad at you, not understanding your history of uh-huh. uh, Vikings fandom. Patriots beat the Vikings 24-10. to 10. We watched this game together. What did I say was going to happen in this game? There was going to be a beatdown by double digits? Yes. Yeah, kind of was. Mm-hmm. Um, Patriots did feel like they were in control of the whole game, and it was still only, like, what, 10-7 at the half? Yeah. Um, Patriots defense played pretty well. Cousins didn't. did not play very well. Uh, that's about it. Yeah, pretty much. The, I mean, the Vikings didn't play very well. Their defense didn't play particularly well. Their offense didn't play particularly well, with the exception of Dalvin Cook, who was really quite good. Patri- so Patriots had a good game plan. It was a lot of short stuff. And so when they go up against teams that play that quarter, you know, when you play quarters, offenses can dictate deep down the field one-on-one matchups against quarters looks. It's essentially a man coverage across the board. You can create big plays. The Patriots like to go the other way and actually, like, stretch the linebackers out a little bit so early on it was a lot of quick passes and yards after the catch and then they got to the point where they opened it up i thought it was just a really it's also where their mismatches are like, it is the vikings linebackers as much as they get credit for this coverage particularly eric kendricks they're not actually that great at it and even if they're good they're good for linebackers which right. means they're still bad when it comes to going one-on-one with james white right um this game also featured some weird officiating like, the Patriots somehow escaped 0-2 for, for defensive pass interference in the end zone. 
when uh, I think was it JC Jackson. Yeah, was twice. I can't remember who the receivers were, but it was two. One was Thielen. Was it were they both Thielen or was it just one was Thielen, one was Robinson? Maybe either Robinson. way, it was like consecutive plays. Pretty clear defensive pass interference. Um, and so the Vikings ended up obviously missing out on the touchdown because of that. That to me would have been a green light to essentially go prison rules and coverage, right? Like, oh, okay, it's one of these right. games where that's not getting called. Fine, let's play it that way. Instead, the Vikings decided to play soft cover two, and the Patriots just ran through the middle of it, wide open holes to receivers for touchdowns. Like, I don't, I mean, there's, there's a certain degree of this is what we do, and we're doing this regard. You need to be able to adjust to these things in a game. And that was like as clear a green light as you could possibly have to let's up the physicality out wide and see what happens. And instead, we'd just back off, play cover two, and let them have wide open passes. Yeah, uh, Questionable, I would suggest. Yeah, they should have been more physical, for sure. Um, I like when the, the Patriots are very game plan oriented on defense. Mm-hmm. I, like, I feel like you almost kind of get into the mind of Belichick what he feels about a player, depending on what the game plan was. They blitzed. Kirk Cousins, seventeen out of forty-six dropbacks. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a big percentage for the Patriots. Seventeen blitzes, and he averaged three point eight yards per attempt. Kendricks was targeted thirteen times. Uh, James White on him, six for six for eighty-four yards. I mean, most of those are screens, but yeah. right. But this was just you know this is the idea, right? You're going. It's it's also screens. It's those releases up the middle. Those quick. Um, kind of running back option routes where you can go out to the flat, you can come in on this kind of pivot circle. Like Kendricks is a reasonable coverage linebacker, but he can't cover James White doing that, and they did that relentlessly. They did. Uh, so New England now at nine and three, currently the number two seed. Uh, Kansas City has to. If Kansas City wins out, they'll have the number one seed. New England needs a slip up from Kansas City, but I mean, if things stay the way they are. New England has to go through Kansas City potentially on the way to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, that's been a big deal for New England in the past. Sunday Night Football, Chargers and Steelers. Steelers had a huge lead. Chargers made the comeback 33-30. to Big Ben cycling between ridiculous misses, head-scratching terrible misses, and then big-time throws. That has been the story of the season. I know they scored 30 points and all that stuff. But Big Ben's consistency is just maddening right now. This is his worst-graded season since 2011. Yeah, he was all over the place. The Steelers, as a unit, stopped playing at halftime, seemingly like they'd got this game in the bag. Obviously, they didn't. Um, your boy, Derwin James, was Stud. enhancing a Rookie of the Year kind of campaign, um, made a bunch of big plays, including preventing an Antonio Brown catch down the sideline by blasting him out of bounds. I mean, he Brown. went form tackle, perfect form tackle in the flat, to an interception as a deep safety. Mm-hmm. To knock in Antonio Brown as a deep safety. Did he have another pass breakup? I mean, just just big play after big play in various types of coverage. Yeah. Which is just, then just great. after that, the, the Chargers came back and straight double-teamed Antonio Brown. And who was it? Adrian Phillips did one of the worst jobs at safety on a given play I've ever seen. Somehow, like you've got literal double coverage on the guy. And somehow you conspired to get the wrong side of Antonio Brown just let him run past you for a touchdown. Yeah. That was abysmal. Um, but the Chargers end up, they change the narrative, right? The narrative is always the Chargers. Oh, they're just, there they go, chargering again. They come right. up against one of the real contenders and the wheels fall off. 
but they came back and they executed the comeback and they kept it going and um like that kind of does that whether it changes the narrative outside of the building or not that has to do something internally to their mindset of what happens when this starts to to come to fruition again oh absolutely we hit the playoffs a team like pittsburgh goes two uh, two scores up we're done right now they know they're not i i mean i still want to see them they have to play thursday night in kansas city yeah in a couple weeks they if we're talking about narrative changers it, it is lazy to just be like, well, the Chargers are terrible in Kansas City year in, year out. I mean, it's lazy to think that. But on the surface, it's like, all right, they got to get over that hump. If they win that game, they're all of a sudden number one in the AFC West. They're, they're, then the Patriots move to number one, assuming they win out. In the, it, the Chargers are getting a bye. They're one win against the Chiefs. I mean, they have to win out, right. but they're one win against the Chiefs from flipping the whole thing and having a bye in the first round. There is, it's a winnable game. There's something to institutionally understanding how to win, right? And it's not that it's not that you're just capable of winning because you're a good team. This it's, isn't very PFF-y. It's understanding like the mindset involved and when things start to go to hell because those are the most critical situations, right? It's not when everything's going well, you can continue to win. It's when things start to go badly how do you handle it? And instead of letting the wheels fall off completely and you just sink into this disaster, like the Vikings last year, for example, in the NFC Championship game, it's like what the Patriots are able to do, which is, you know, roll through a double-digit deficit for a while, knowing that at some point it's going to start to swing back in your direction, and then you just need to execute. Right. Now, the Chargers, for years, have been talented enough to win, but when things go wrong, they've gone wrong badly. This was like the one of the most critical steps, I think, in them redressing that, which is, okay, now things were going wrong and we righted the ship and we held them off. And that's, that's a, I think that's a big uh, kind of milestone in this road to changing a mindset of how, you know, going from a, well, we're capable of winning to actually we should be winning. So my thing, I, I was thinking about this last night. There are certain things that happen seemingly every NFL season that you can expect and that we talk about here on the pod all the time. The Matthew Stafford games I talk about, right? The three games where Matthew Stafford is a top three quarterback mm-hmm. hasn't really happened this year. My, Miami game was close, but he only had like 22 attempts. But there are games that he just takes over. Hasn't really happened yet this year. On the other end of the spectrum is the Phillip Rivers game. Last year against the Chiefs in week one where he's just chucking interceptions left and right. Both Chiefs games, really. There are games two years ago against Miami where he had, was it like four fourth quarter interceptions that were just terrible and bad. We haven't seen a disastrous Philip Rivers outing. The, the Denver game a couple weeks ago wasn't great. A few bad decisions down the stretch. But we haven't seen that just disastrous, like, 40-grade Philip Rivers game. No. Is that, does he still have that in him, or is that part of the big turnaround with the Chargers? I mean, typically the Chargers have really struggled against the Chiefs. You know, for the past few years, even when they've looked really good, they roll against the Chiefs, and it just it, it's a disaster, like, every single time. And it's usually Philip Rivers – uh, the first game this season, he played okay. Um, but that's so that's where I think they can change this too, because we think the Chiefs. The, the thing I kept saying about the Chiefs' defense for the last three years until this year was that they could make pretty good quarterbacks look bad. Right? They did it to Brady. They did it to Rivers. They did it to um, a bunch of guys along the way. Big Ben? Uh, no, they, no they, I don't think they ever slowed down Big Ben. But a bunch of quarterbacks along the way they made look bad. Rivers being one of them. Uh huh. I don't know that they do that this year. They don't have that type of defense. Now, they've got Mahomes on the other side. 
But I think we're going to see another 50-50 shootout right. on, a thir- on Thursday night football between these two teams. I mean, week one, they weren't able to make Phillip Rivers look bad the way they have in previous seasons. Right. Now, I would say their defense is better now than it was in week one. Like week one, we were talking about this Chiefs defense being maybe the worst in the league and a right. complete disaster. A lot of that was Rivers was playing catch up and, right. and he made some nice throws, but it was a lot of garbage timey type stuff. too. But I would say that so far, I mean, it's another one of these milestones, right? If you want to be seen as a legitimate contender again, this is a game that you probably need to start at least not, you know, uh, having a mess. in. You need to actually show up and yeah. at the very minimum contend this game um, and run it close. All right. What else do we have to touch on here? The Panthers continue to um, revert back to what they should be. Well, Cam Newton was terrible in this game. Now, we've been hammering Cam Newton. We've been getting in arguments with Panthers fans for weeks, and he's actually been playing well during that period. Are they still here? Are you guys still here, Panthers fans? But he was actually awful in this game. Uh, This is by far the worst grade of his season. Um, And it was just there was something kind of fitting about the fact that it got down close do or die, fourth and nine, wide open post across the middle of the field, and, and the overthrow. Overthrow. Yeah. Not only Which, the overthrow, but he's got, he has this knack for just being so stuck at the top of the pocket where it looks like every throw just has bodies around him left and right. And eventually the bodies get there, but I don't, he just doesn't have this natural feel maneuvering the pocket. And he just stays there, and you're like, oh man, he got hit. You know, his arm got hit. But I think he just doesn't have this great feel. To avoid pressure. And that was one of the interceptions he threw. Yes, he was getting hit by the throw. And there's a lot of times where you're just at the mercy of the defense. Like the guy just gets there in 1.9 seconds and he hits you and the ball pops up and you just can't do anything about it. Whereas I feel like Cam just like sticks his feet in and just invites it. And that was like all of his bad plays got summed up in this game, right? There's that type of play. There's the overthrow on an open receiver. And it was right after I complimented him for a great third down because he stick because he also has those plays where he sticks there and he's got the arm strength to just kind of chuck it and make great throws. Again, and he made one of those and then he made the inter- you know through the interception. Next, it's like the Rodgers thing. It's not about what a guy is capable of doing. It's about what happens at the most critical situations. Like so much with Cam Newton, it gets distilled down. If there's one play and it's you've got to do it here. And then it's an overthrow. Those are the plays you can't remove from him that far too often at the most critical situation, the inherent flaw in his passing comes back and it's a ball that's five yards over the head of the guy he's supposed to hit. Right. Um, but it was just, this was really the, the kind of the, this, this crowning glory of this Panthers collapse so far over the it, past few years, or uh, past look, few weeks, rather. We're not going to spend too much more time on Cam. We'll do a full show on Cam. By the way, those point. Bucks uniforms may be the most disgusting thing that's ever taken place on an NFL field. You usually hate all uniforms, they, I've, they, I've decided. At one point, they were lining up on for like a goal line um, you know, attempt to punch it into the end zone, and there was such a wall of fluorescent bright red that it was like screwing up the hue on the TV. Like the TV was like glowing in the middle because of this pocket of intense red stemming from these Bucks uniforms. I mean, that was just, those were disgusting. You can change the channel. They were sickening. Uh, Seattle rolls against the 49ers. Russell Wilson was spectacular again. They've got the Vikings next week in a great game. Then the 49ers again. They've got the Chiefs. They they are cycling back and forth between tough games and now in the 49ers, essentially. Tough games and the 49ers. In easy games. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be dangerous down the stretch. They could be dangerous down the stretch. What else do we have for games 
that were uh, did you see of some relevance. a touchdown celebration the Seahawks did? They basically reenacted the Richard Sherman pass breakup against Michael Crabtree in the NFC Championship game back when. Oh, I didn't notice that. Was that like is that an homage to that play or like a slight? Oh, I think it's a slight. Yeah, I think they're mocking him. Disrespect. Sherman didn't seem like he went out on good terms. Right. Well, with most of them, but he was like he was playing catch with a former Stanford teammate, um, Doug, Baldwin. Doug Baldwin, before the yeah. game. Like they were nice and pally playing the game of catch at the sideline. Maybe it's both, both o- an homage, homage and a and, uh, s- and disrespect and at hey, the same dude, time. You're playing for the Nick Mullins led Forty ers now. Sorry. Okay. Should have stayed with us. Uh, the Titans pulled one out against the New York Jets. Yes. Keeping their playoff hopes alive. Uh huh. In a game that had nothing interesting in it. Taiwan Taylor making big plays down the field. That was interesting. Uh, and then the Giants-Bears game, Chase Daniel was not great. No. Still almost pulled it off at the end. Credit so the, uh, the Giants. We like, it, this was interesting because we said before this game that you, you, know, you, you should do nothing but target Alec Ogletree in this game and you could have a really good offense. Right. Now, the, Bear, or the Giants obviously saw that coming. And did everything they could to avoid Alec Ogletree being one-on-one with Tariq Cohen. Yep. Um, Tariq Cohen was actually covered largely by Landon Collins, which makes a hell of a lot more sense than Alec Ogletree trying to cover him. Um, and Collins got beaten a few times by Tariq Cohen, like three catches, 83 yards. Um, consequently, this kind of freed Ogletree up to somehow appear in the middle of passing plays with the, the ball headed in his direction. Got himself a couple of interceptions. Is that how you're going to describe one of the top-graded players this weekend? He happened to be in the place where the ball was going? Yes. I think that's fair. Given, uh, given Ogletree's grading history, I think that's fair. Right. Just, I think, because they were, they were presented with a picture that was so completely different to what they were expecting, different guys covering the, their, their threat weapons, Ogletree is just pro- popping up in passing lanes, getting himself interceptions. And this was what? I assume this is by far the best grade of his season. Yep, it is indeed. By a, by a long and margin. probably the margin. best grade of quite an extended period of time for him. The Tariq Cohen offense, 12 catches for 156. Including on a passing targets. score to, uh, passing touchdown, to tie it up. Ran the ball a bunch. Why didn't the Bears go for two to win the game? I don't know, man. They're not the underdog in their head. Can With we Chase at least, Daniel, though, at that point, can we at least uh, put down for the record that they should have gone for two? Should have gone to for win two. the game. It's a 50-50 you proposition. Said you sent it to overtime, overtime. Where, of course, you've got a better shot of winning the game. And no. Eli had a spectacular throw in overtime to Sterling Shepard. The, the Bears, that was awesome. Also, for a, defense, for a defense that's like the best 15th-ranked defense in the NFL, the Bears' defense went completely AWOL on a couple of plays in this game. Now, one well, of They're them, good against non-trick plays. Trick plays... Yes. Not as good. They had a passing touchdown from Odell Beckham Jr., which caused all kinds of chaos in the defense. Um, and there was another wide-open bust as well. Like, you know, come on. Clearly, the Bears miss Mitchell Trubisky. Well, apparently, yeah. There you go. Anything else we didn't touch on? Chiefs, Chiefs beat the Raiders, almost had a scare. But was anybody really ever scared? I mean, I, the Chiefs probably were. They weren't that they, scared. So this game was Car interesting great. because... The Raiders' offense played pretty well. They ran the Chiefs close, and yet the Chiefs could have had a touchdown every single play if they'd just thrown the ball at Tyreek Hill and sent him deep against Nick Nelson. Who- it was unbelievable. I mean, we so this is what Baylor, we're going to wrap it up in a minute here. This is what Baylor did in college football. They basically said, if you throw four straight deep right. balls, all you have to do is hit one 25%, of them. and we get a touchdown every right? 
Right. So incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. Okay, touchdown. And that's assuming one of them doesn't. Yeah, like that's assuming one of them doesn't go for a touchdown. Like if you just keep taking twenty five percent shots, it's guaranteed. So every they they would line Tyreek Hill up in the slot and just send him on a vertical. And the Raiders defense, like, no, we do one thing and we do one thing only. And regardless of what matchup you manufacture, that's what we're going to play with. But it's not like they have somebody that's like, oh, yeah, we'll just we'll put the right guy on Tyreek that can cover. Nobody can cover him no, anyway. But you might do better than like leaving him in man coverage, running with him down the middle of the Perhaps. field without being able to jam him at the line. But Mahomes missed. Like Mahomes finished with four touchdowns. Right. First off, he threw two passes that should have been easy picks. So his grade wasn't great. He threw a, a turnover-worthy completion over and, the middle of the field, and he threw a, a dropped interception in the end zone. And he did miss this throw a couple of times, right? So and it's he not like the they never ball. went right. with it. Right. But all, literally every time they did this, Tyreek Hill was five yards running past Nick Nelson. Yeah. Like, it was sad to watch poor Nick Nelson trying to deal with this. Like, off coverage from the slot, Tyreek Hill just runs clean past him, and by the time they're downfield, it's five yards of separation. Now, I don't... Obviously, you can't just do this every single play, but you could have targeted might be this. Be able to though, but well, at least until they know, show I you know. they're prepared to change what they're doing, right? You could have just gone after this five times straight, and until you get the touchdown, like it, this was unbelievable. They didn't just relentlessly target this. And Mahomes has one of his worst games of the year on a throw for throw basis. Still ends up with four touchdowns, passer rating of one twenty. He now has forty one touchdowns. On the season, a lot of things going right with that Kansas City offense. Travis Kelsey was unstoppable. How many more games now we got to break the record? Uh, four. And what is the record? Fifty. Fifty-five. Five. So he needs fourteen to tie it in four games. It's a lot. He just got. He's going to get six again. I mean, against the Raiders next time at home against the Raiders. He stumbled into four yesterday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, he I left mean- six on the table. Yeah, well, he, he did. Had 10. If he just targeted Tyree Kill against Nick Nelson every time, then sure. Are they playing week 17? He's going to be whatever he needs for the record against the Raiders, he's just going to go get. It. Oh, I need 12 for the record. Let's just go get it. Is that a week that's well, what if they're not playing the final week? Oh, that, so there there is something that so they could have it locked up. But if the Patriots continue to win out, the Chiefs have to win out. That's the thing. If the if the Patriots or Texans slip up, then they then they have a one game buffer. As long as the Patriots and Texans keep winning, and let's assume the Chiefs beat the Chargers just for the sake of argument, as long as the Patriots and Texans keep winning, the Chiefs have to keep winning. How many does he need for the lifetime catch-up deal? Oh, I don't know. I wasn't keeping tabs What's, on this. What is the Heinz ketchup? ketchup? They said they were going to give 51 him... 51 flavors. And, right. Is that what it is? We need to wrap it up, Sam. We don't need you Googling I mean, I'm, catch-up stuff. Well, I'm going to look at it. Why don't you leave? Because you generally just bounce early on that podcasts. That was just anyway. the one time, and that was only because my heart out phoned me early. You can't blame me for that. Now we have this open-ended time, and we're just, just dragging along here. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to Google. I can't figure out how to Google this sensibly. Um, Great. I just see you looking at Heinz Ketchup. We're, right. we're done here. You week think 13, on the bottle, it would be somewhere showing Week 13 you. is in the books. Appreciate everybody. For tuning in, as always, appreciate all of our live YouTube viewers, the millions and millions. It's way less than a million that are watching right now. Yeah, but um, how many a lot of people listening for sure? Uh, stick with us for Week 14 preview, and maybe we'll drop an extra pod midweek this week. We'll see how it goes. Thanks again, everybody. We'll chat again Thursday. quick break to tell you guys about nfl game pass the only way that you can replay every game all season long you can relive all the gutsy calls crazy catches wild comebacks and breakout stars from every game every week 
It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.